Well, you can sit back and relax and, and unwind. I'm just going to pop this TV forward. Um, if you're joining us for the first time today, we're actually wrapping up a series that we've been camping out on uh, for the last couple of weeks uh, called Deal Breaker. Um, we've covered a lot of ground, and so I don't have time to, to go over everything, all the ground that we've covered today, but if you'd like to kind of catch up, uh, you can go on to our podcast or on the SoundCloud and just type in Beyond Church AU. You can catch up on parts one and two, but I'll do my best to bring us all up to speed uh, in a couple of minutes of where we've been. Uh, what we've pretty much said throughout this series is that a deal breaker uh, is a barrier that someone cannot overlook. And we have deal breakers we kind of discovered in all areas of our lives. We've ha- we have them in relationships. We have them when it comes to work. We have it when it comes to uh, what school to send our kids to. We have it uh, in regards to maybe how someone treats our spouse or how someone treats our children. We have barriers and we say, hey, in a relationship, if someone was to do this or someone was to say this to me, I could not, I could not move past it. If the culture at work was this way, if I was paid maybe this amount or it was really toxic environment, I could not overlook that. If a school didn't view my child or maybe have a, a certain extracurricular activity or cater for some of the needs of my child, then, then that's a barrier that I could not and I would not overlook. And what we said is that um, these barriers don't just exist in, uh, in aspects of our lives, they also exist in aspects of faith. They, they, uh, we have barriers that we cannot overlook when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Jesus, and when it comes to the church. And what we looked at is that uh, McCrindle uh, research uh, were kind of paid by a whole heap of Christian organizations and these Christian organizations said to them, hey, would you go out and would you survey a whole heap of Australians and discover what are their barriers that they cannot overlook when it comes to faith? And, uh, and we looked at this list the last couple of weeks, but I think it's just important to keep reminding ourselves of what are the, what are the things Australians say they cannot overlook when it comes to, to Christianity, to Jesus and the church. And this is what they discovered. These are the deal breakers. Homosexuality tops the list. Then hell and condemnation. Then suffering. Supernatural events. The role of women. The Bible. And science and evolution. And uh, if those all add up to more than 100, I know. It was one of those ones where it was like, pick as many as you like. And so a lot of people, 33% of people who push back or resist Christianity do so because of homosexuality and so on and so forth. And what we kind of discovered, particularly last week, is that when it, comes to, um, when it comes to Christianity, what lies at the heart of it is not a view on sexuality. It's not a view on hell and condemnation or suffering. It's not a book that was really important. We looked at that last week. It's not a book and it's not a scientific theory. It's not a view on genders. But at the heart of Christianity is Jesus. At the heart of Christianity is a person and an event that involves specifically Jesus. And so we've kind of been building over to this for the last couple of weeks. And specifically today, we are going to spend some time looking at the event and uh, that this guy, Jesus, was at the center of the kind of kickstart of the movement. And the reason this is so important um, and what we looked at last week is because Jesus' teachings were not the driving force of his movement. So many people have this idea that, well, if I want to follow Jesus, I have to follow his his teachings. And that's, that's one element of it. But if, uh, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then, then we, as we're going to discover today, if that event didn't happen, then his teaching is really irrelevant. Because at the center of, uh, of why people in the first century followed him were his claims. Jesus' claims about himself were the driving force of his movement. And he made some pretty crazy claims. Jesus said things like, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus made some claims like, I am God. Jesus said, in me, you can find forgiveness. 
Jesus said, I will overcome the grave. I will move past that. And it's this, kind of, it's this thing that we often miss in the 21st century. Because we like to say, hey, well, Jesus is kind of a good moral teacher. I'll follow him on these things. But the, the people in the first century realized that you couldn't merely follow his teachings if you didn't believe his claims because he made some pretty outlandish claims. And one of those claims is what we're going to look at today, that he claimed that he had power even over death and that he would leave a tomb empty. And so really the question we're going to camp out on for the next couple of minutes is simply this, is did Jesus die and rise again? Did he do it? Because that's a pretty remarkable claim. If he did it, he's the only person in history to have ever done it. And this question applies to all of us. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're not, there are implications for you in regards to this question. Every single time you write the date down this year, this question that begins to infiltrate your life. Because every time you write 2019 down, you're, you're marking the year that we live in based on when Jesus lived. Our modern calendar is based on around the time that Jesus was born. This is an important question because the most sold book in history is a collection of documents that Christians refer to as the Bible. The most stolen book in history is also uh, the Bible as well. Just fun fact. I learned that this week. When, when someone says to you and makes the claim, hey, God is love, that's a claim that doesn't originate in spirituality, but originates, you, we see it for the first time in history, in Jesus. When we look at charitable organizations, in the first century, there was no such thing as charity. If you were marginalized, if you were put to the edges and fringes of society, you were left to fend for yourself. It was actually Christians following the teachings of Jesus based on his claims about himself that began to actually care for the disenfranchised and for the marginalized. And so did Jesus rise again is such an important question because it infiltrates so many areas of our culture and our society and we're not even aware of it. And some of you, right, you're still at that point where you're like, yeah, but they're good teachings, Chris. Like, even if he didn't rise, can't we just kind of like bring them back and like, because they're good things. And I would say no. Because I would actually argue that if Jesus actually didn't rise again, then we should do our best to obliterate all of his teachings off the face of the earth. That's not something you probably thought you were going to hear when you came to church today, the pastor to say that, like, right? Because so many people want to view Jesus as a good moral teacher. But think about this. If Jesus didn't rise again, he tells people, he says, pray to me. Find forgiveness in me. He says, Jesus essentially gives people hope. He says, hey, by the way, give your money to me. Give your life to me. And if Jesus didn't rise again, he's not a great moral teacher. In fact, he's the most despicable, damnable liar that has ever existed. Because he's given people a false sense of hope. And he continues to have people falsely place their hope in him if he didn't rise again. Now, this is a pretty big question to tackle in the next couple of minutes. And there have been libraries and libraries of books written on it. So in order to answer this question, there are two questions. Oh, this is really the big idea. If Jesus died, nothing changes, okay, that we're going to look at today. If Jesus died, nothing changes. Because if he died, he did what we all do, right? He died. 
All of us will eventually get to that point. And when we die, we might have a funeral and we'll have people mourn for us, but ultimately nothing will change. But if he died and rose again, then what that means is his claims about himself are true. That he actually is God and he actually has power over the one thing that none of us have control over. Death. And so in order to answer this question, we need to kind of go ask two other questions. What needs an explanation is the first question. And the second one is, what's the best explanation? What are are the things that we need to kind of look at and what are the things that really, really need to be explained? And then once we know, hey, these are the things that need to be explained, we have to ask the question, what's the best explanation for this? Because there are a whole heap of explanations, but we want to know what's the best explanation. I'll give you an example of this. Um, When I was younger, my mum and dad, like we had a wall outside, uh, outside one of the windows near our house. And mum and dad would always say, stop hitting the tennis ball against the wall. Because on this wall, this is such a kid thing to do, um, there was like a plant, a potted plant that kind of just sat above eye level. And I had this plant in it, and mum was like, if you keep hitting the tennis ball against the wall, eventually you're going to smack it, and it's going to drop down and shatter. And I was like, mum, my aim is so great. Like, that's never going to happen. Don't worry about it. And then one day, it wasn't my fault, okay? It took a shady bounce off the, off the dirt that I wasn't expecting. And I thought I did pretty well to even hit the wall with the trajectory that this ball was moving. But I miscued it hit the plant, uh, pot plant kind of little thing, broke down and shattered. Now, it didn't shatter into too many pieces, so I was kind of able to kind of, uh, kind of cobble it all together, get super glue, use the super glue, kind of hold it in place because I knew I had a little bit of time because mum and dad were out for most of the day. Then I hung it back up on the, on the wall, put the pot plant back in. I thought we were all good. A couple of days later, mum comes in and she goes, what happened to the pot plant outside? What do you mean, mum? What do you mean? Why are you asking me? Like, what happened to the pot plant? She goes, well, there's cracks all over it, and it looks like there's super glue in it, and the plant's dead because it's got no water, and the super glue kind of infected the soil, and that's not healthy for it. And I was like, what? And when, in that moment, what my mum was asking me was, was not to explain, hey, did, the, did the, the, pl- the, the pot get broken? It was pretty obvious that it got broken. What she wanted was an explanation of how it got that way. And what we're going to look at today, when we look through these things, that, uh, what we're going to look at in a moment is three things that all historians, whether they're Christians or whether they're not, say, hey, these things need an explanation. And when they say, hey, they need an explanation, what they're, not, what they're saying is, these are things that we take to be true. These are things that we see and it's, and it's a fact. What we want to know is, how did those things come to happen? Just like the pot. How did that come to happen? We know it's broken. How did it come to happen and what's the best explanation? So these are the three things that all historians, they say, hey, this is what needs an explanation. The first thing is this, the empty tomb. Every historian that you talk to will say, hey, Jesus' tomb was empty. Now, some of you might be saying like, oh, well, can we back up? What about Jesus dying? Like, is that a thing that historians ask if there's an explanation? No. And the reason why they don't ask that is because the Romans who killed Jesus were expert assassins. This was a thing that they did all the time. There is, there is only one time in recorded history where anyone ever survives an execution, uh, a crucifixion. And when they did, they were taken down off the cross because they saw that they were wrongly accused and given the best medical treatment that Rome had to offer. At that point in time, there were three other people taken off at the cross at the same time and only one person survived. Jesus, that wasn't the case. He was crucified, then he was taken down, 
And maybe some of you are like, oh, but maybe he could have possibly been alive. Could have, maybe. Maybe he was like the one dude they messed it up with. But at that point in time in history, Jesus was a Jew. And so he went through the Jewish embalming process, which meant that he was wrapped in linen and oils, about 60 kilos worth. And so if he wasn't killed on the cross, he would have been suffocated underneath the linen and underneath all the oils that were, kind of, uh, that were put over him at that time. But what all historians say is, hey, the tomb was empty. Everyone, Christians, non-Christians, talk about the fact that there was an empty tomb. We need to explain how it became empty in the first place. The second thing that they say, hey, needs to be explained is this. Post-resurrection appearances. So after Jesus died, people then began to start to talk about seeing him to start to talk about viewing him again, having conversations with him, interacting with him, sharing meals with him. Some people even started to talk about touching him. And we have a list. It's a really, really ancient list. Some people think it, it was uh, first compiled within three years after the fact that Jesus was, uh, uh, was crucified around that time, three years after. And it actually appears in a letter that a guy called Paul wrote to a church in Corinth and he recounts the list of people that saw Jesus. And I want you to pay attention to some of the people he includes on this list. He says he was seen by Peter. He was the guy who went on to lead the Jesus movement after Jesus. And then by the 12, all right, now I get some of you are like, great, he just appeared to the people that were in his close circle. That doesn't really show me much. But then he goes on. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. 500 people saw Jesus at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And the reason Paul adds this part in, he goes, 500 people, fact check it. Go and talk to them. If you don't believe me, why don't you go and find some of these 500 and go and talk to them? And then he starts to add these really, really curious names to the list. He says, then he was seen by James. And James is so fascinating, right? Because James was Jesus's brother. And we know that when Jesus lived, James did not think his brother was who he claimed to be. And let's cut James some slack, right? If your brother or your sister claimed to be the son of God, you'd probably be like, you're the son of someone and you need to, you need to help. Like you need, to, you need to go and talk to some people about this, right? But Paul includes him in the list. And don't you think that's a crazy name to include in the list? Because everyone would be like, well, righto, like, I'll just go talk to James. And James could have very easily said, no, of course he didn't rate. No, that's, that Paul's just making up rubbish. Like, that's ridiculous. Why would you include the name of someone who knowingly was right out there saying, no, 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 I'm not having a bar of Jesus. And then later to all the apostles. And then he adds one more name in, which is just on the exact same level as James in terms of like crazy when you think about it. He says, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I, this is Paul referring to himself, I also saw him and this is crazy because what we know about paul is that paul was actually a christian killer paul was hell-bent on destroying the church and then he did a, a 180 flip overnight all of a sudden he becomes a jesus follower paul is the one of the most uh, probably apart from jesus the most influential figure in christian history and paul says i saw him as well the third thing that needs to be explained, and this is just so fascinating when you look into it all, is the actions, the actions of Jesus' followers. 
Because history kind of gives us two very different stories about the actions of Jesus' followers before his death and after his death. Before his death, we hear stories about how, uh, how some of Jesus' followers would run away when middle school girls asked them if they were followers of Jesus. Before Jesus died, we have stories about how his followers were scared, how they were unsure, how they would constantly question, hey, Jesus, are you who you claim to be? Are you really God? But then after Jesus' death, we have a completely different story throughout history. We have a story where 11 of the 12 of Jesus' followers were murdered for their faith. Where 11 of the 12 of them who would once run away at the first sign of trouble went to die. And when spears were held in their faces, when rocks were picked up, when they were about to be nailed to a cross to be crucified and people said, tell us that he didn't rise, they said, well, we can't and we won't. And the only one who wasn't killed for his faith was exiled to an island called Patmos to live the rest of his days alone. And so these are the three things that historians look at and say, hey, we need to explain these. We need to explain these these facts and these things that we see. And so there are a whole heap of of possible explanations, right? And I'm just going to run through them quickly with you because I I just want to run through this list so you know what some of the possible explanations are because we don't have time today to go through all of them. But if you want to kind of talk to me and grab me and chat about one of these in particular and you want to grab a coffee, by all means, let's do it. So one of them is the apparent death explanation that, oh, well, Jesus just only appeared to die. He didn't actually die. Another of them, we'll actually look at this one today because this is one that's, that's most prevalent, most relevant. The conspiracy theory, hey, they just made it up. Um, another one is the hallucination explanation. Uh, hey, people just hallucinated seeing Jesus and they just kind of, uh, they didn't really see him. They just thought they saw him. Um, this one is the misplaced body explanation. Well, of course the tomb was empty because they were looking in the wrong tomb. Like there was another tomb out there that Jesus was just laid in. And then the final one is the resurrection explanation. And I just want to look at the conspiracy explanation and the resurrection explanation. Just today, to kind of show you, hey, this is, this is one that's really, really prevalent at the moment. This kind of conspiracy one. And But like I said, if you want to talk through any of these later, by all means, come and grab me. So how does the conspiracy explanation explain these three things that need to be explained? Well, essentially the conspiracy explanation says that what happened is when Jesus died, all these boys got together and his girls and they said, right, this is not good for us. We were destined for fame. We were destined for fortune. We were destined for great things. And then Jesus went and got himself killed. Um, We need to keep this movement moving. And so what we're going to do is we're going to steal the body and we're going to start a story about how he actually rose from the dead. Are we all in on this? Okay, sweet. Everyone on three. Jesus, one, two, three. Yes. That's kind of the theory. Now, I've I've said in green, I've marked this green because I said, okay, maybe this could explain the empty tomb. And I've been pretty generous in saying that it could explain the empty tomb. Because what essentially this uh, this, uh, explanation says is that the disciples went and stole the body. Now, we know throughout history that actually the Roman, there were Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. And so really what this is saying is that a bunch of 12 uneducated fishermen went and jumped a Roman, gu- a Roman guards, trained assassins, and then in, uh, rolled, uh, rolled the body away, uh, rolled the stone away, stole the body, and then they made up a whole heap of stories saying how they stole the, uh, saying how the, oh, all of a sudden the tomb's empty. Now, let's just say that it happened. Let's just say that did happen we still have to explain the post-resurrection appearances. 
And this is so, so tricky in this conspiracy theory. Because how do you explain that 500 people were appeared to? Oh, they just paid them off. Okay, they paid 500 people off. Awesome. How do we explain the fact that Jesus' brother James claims that he saw Jesus? And this is one of the most interesting ones. Is Jesus' brother James is recorded in history to have, um, to have been captured and then these people began to pick up stones and they said, all you have to do, James, all you have to do to save your life is to tell us that your brother was a liar. And James said, I, I can't. I can't do it. And James was stoned to death for his belief that his brother was God. How do you explain that if the body was stolen? And this is, this is one of the most incredible ones. How do you explain, and this, I don't think this explanation can explain the actions of Jesus' followers. Because like we said, 11 of the 12 of them died and one of them was exiled to solitude. And none of them, none of them cracked under the pressure. None of them cracked under the weight of, of death that was facing them. And they gained nothing. They gained no fame. They gained no notoriety. In fact, they lost everything. And we look back in history and some people say, oh, well, they're part of this book and they're part of this movement. It's like, yeah, but they didn't know that at the time that that was going to happen. And it's one of the most curious things to explain how the church exploded if a group of 12 guys got together and made up a conspiracy theory to steal a body. What about this one? What about the resurrection explanation? What, is, what does that do for us? How does that help us? Well, it actually does explain the empty tomb. It says that, it says that um, the resurrection explanation says, well, the reason that the tomb was empty and the reason that there was no body is because Jesus actually rose from the grave. And those Roman centurions who, if they failed their task, um, would have been killed themselves, it explains why, why they ran away. It explains why they were so afraid. It also explains the post-resurrection appearances. It explains how someone could walk into a room of 12 people who they knew really well and say, hey, I rose from the grave and everyone believed them. Because if they were all bloodied, if they, were, had, uh, if they had all the scars and all the markings still down their arms, it explains why people would believe that they actually rose from the grave as opposed to just appearing to die or having the body stolen. It explains why a guy called Paul who hated the church would become one of its biggest advocates. It also explains the actions of Jesus' followers. It explains why a bunch of timid men and women went on to be some of the most heroic people that history has ever known. Because think about this, right? Imagine you were in that situation. Imagine that you had made up a story and then death came knocking on your door and crucifixion came knocking on your door. Would you die for something you knew was a lie? Would you give up your life for something you knew, hey, no, it's not true? Or would you do what so many of us would do and that I would do it as they begin to put your arms down on the cross and be like, guys, I was just kidding, lol jokes, okay? I was just trying to do it. I just wanted to get popular. I just wanted to get my name out there. Would you really die for something you knew was a lie? And the truth is, they didn't die for what they believed. 
the disciples and James, Jesus' brother, and Paul died for something they saw. And I get, right, that you can sit here and you can be like, okay, cool, like, yeah, that whole um, conspiracy hypothesis, when you break it down like that, maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense when you start to say, hey, the, the best explanation of these events maybe is the resurrection, okay. But so often we're kind of left to go, well, so what? Like, like so what? How does the death and resurrection of a 2,000-year-old peasant carpenter who claimed to be God, how does that affect my life right now? How does that change your marriage? How does that change the, the financial pressure that you're under? How does that change the strain that, that working long hours has placed on your marriage? How does that change the relationship that you have with your kids? What does that change about the world? And the truth is, is it actually changes everything. Because what it means is that God is not indifferent to what you are going through. That God did not start the world in motion, flick it off into space and then sit back and go, I hope they go all right by themselves. God actually said, no, I care about the world so much that I'm going to write myself into the story. That I'm going to write myself into history. And so whenever, whenever anyone is, is going through struggles in their marriage, when they're going through struggles at home, when they're facing insurmountable challenges at work, when the anxiety and the, the depression are, are just knocking at your door, when the weight of the world seems too much, they will know that they do not have to go through it alone. And they were never walking through it alone. And the reason they will know is because I wrote myself in. And I wanted to be a part of the story so much so that I was willing to give up my life for them. And Jesus' best mate, John, the one whose disciple who wasn't murdered for his faith, the one who was exiled to an island on Patmos, he wrote and he explained it so well, the way that God wrote himself into the story. You've probably heard this so many times, but this is what he says. He says, for this is how God loved. Not how he judged, not how he condemned, not how he hated, but how he loved the world. That he actually gave something he didn't take something he didn't demand something he actually gave his one and only son so that everyone not just christians not just those who go to church not just those who have their lives together not just those who who put out a brave face on social media but so everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life that was the goal jesus stepped into history and wrote himself into the story to break down the barriers that you have, not to take something from you, but to give you life. And so the challenge I have today, because we, we're really big on our four Mondays here, which is kind of the application of everything we've been talking about this morning, is we want to give you something that will make your life better and, and make the lives of people around you better. And I want to ask you, I want to kind of put this challenge out to you. I want you to take a step towards the life that Jesus offers you. And that may look different depending on, on where you're at when it comes to faith, depending on where you're at in regards to your journey. For some of you, 
That might mean just coming back next week. That might be your step. For some of you, it might be having a conversation with someone after the service. It might be asking about, hey, I've got some questions about some of those alternative explanations. That might be your step. For some of you, and we're actually doing this on Tuesday night this week at 6 o'clock, uh, we're going to go live on Facebook and Instagram. And for half an hour, we're going to unpack some of, the, some of the details we couldn't get to today. Maybe for some of you, that's, that's uh, the, the step that you take. And if you think to yourself, like, I've got kids, that's like dinner time and bedtime, don't worry, those will stay up online so you can, like, jump in um, and you can ask co uh, questions in the comments afterwards because I know 6 o'clock is not uh, often a great time for families. Maybe for some of you as a, as a follower of Jesus, what, what this looks like is as we start to begin connect groups at the AM, that the next step for you towards that life is, following, is, is jumping in a connect group. And maybe for some of you, today is the day that you actually begin to recognize and say, you know what, this Jesus guy, he's, he's more than just a great moral teacher. He's more than just a, a, an important historical figure, but he is actually the savior of the world. And as we bring this series to a close, I just want to step out and talk just directly to those of you who would consider yourself a Jesus follower. Right, because chances are you see this like I see it, and you go, take a step towards the life Jesus offers. Well, I'm a Christian, so I've already got that one covered. Okay, this series wasn't really for me. This series was for other people. Like, I don't really have any deal breakers, Chris, because I've been in church my entire life, and this is, this is not really for me. I just, I just want you to think for a moment about the enormity of what your heavenly Father has done. And I want you to think for a minute, is there anything you love so much that you would willingly give your child up for it? Is there anything you love so much that you would say, you know what, my son, my daughter, I'll give up their life for this? Because that's how much your father and my heavenly father loves this world. That God said, I will not even hold my son back and could you imagine what would happen if followers of jesus said if that's how much god loves us then how much should we love the world around us how much should we be taking steps to show the people that we interact with the life that can be found in jesus so this week maybe your step is to actually have some conversations to actually have people in your circle at work or at the coffee shop you go to or the parents at the school um, as you're waiting in the pickup or drop-off zones to actually begin to say, you know what, when I look in on their life, when I look in on the way that they live, I actually want what they have. Their life looks different to mine and I don't know what it is, but I want it. Because this way of living is what changed the world 2,000 years ago. And it can change the world again. And it can remove some deal breakers from people's lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that in you, everything changes. Because through your death and through your resurrection, we have hope. Hope not just that this world is all there is, but hope that there's more to this life. Hope that we're living for something greater than ourselves. 
And Lord, I just pray for people today who are maybe considering this hope for the very first time. I pray that that whatever it is, that that nudge in in their heart, that nudge that they feel with inside of them, that they would be bold enough to take that step, to take a step closer to Jesus, to begin to, maybe they've been waiting and maybe it's been on the back burner for a while, maybe it's been something they kind of keep making excuses for or keep putting deal breakers in the way. But Lord, I pray that today would be the, the time that they take that first step to maybe removing that deal breaker, putting it to the side and taking a step closer to you. And Lord, for those of us who would say we're followers of Jesus, Lord, help us not to become complacent. Help us never to think that we don't have to continually keep removing deal breakers for other people. Help us not think that that it's one and done and that all we have to do is come to church on a Sunday and life is rosy. But Lord, help us be people who remove deal breakers and remove barriers for other people so that they could experience the life that you have for them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.